This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. change dips its toes into various sectors of our lives, from altering our current climate system and changing weather patterns to impacting the health of humans and wildlife alike, climate change's impacts are all-encompassing. But there's one sector you've probably not thought about when it comes to the climate crisis's impact, childcare and education. On this week's episode, we're chatting with Sarah Moskop, CEO and co-founder of Winnie, a marketplace for childcare service and providers. In a recent Twitter thread posted on Earth Day, Moskov explains how the two topics intersect and how they directly impact younger generations. Let's get into it. Hey, Good Together listeners. I am so excited to welcome Sarah Moskov to the podcast today. I mean, honestly, as a female founder, I've followed her journey for quite a long time. Um, she's the CEO and co-founder of Winnie, which is a marketplace for childcare services and providers. I've also used Winnie myself. Um, but the reason why we had Sarah come onto the podcast was because she had a really interesting perspective that she shared on Twitter about how childcare and climate change are related. Super fascinating. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you can get us started by just giving um, the audience just like a really brief intro of yourself and sort of tell us about why this topic is is so, is so important to you. Yeah. So Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I uh, have three kids um, and started Winnie now, gosh, six and a half years ago um, wow. as a childcare marketplace to help parents find daycare and preschool. So uh, what we do is we list every licensed daycare and preschool across the United States and allow parents to search and filter by all the criteria that matters to them. So obviously location and price and age of their kids and hours of operation, all that good stuff. And then they can, you know, message the providers that are relevant and they're interested in and hopefully find one they like and, and enroll. So that is what we do. Um, and uh, as far as, you know, why climate change? Uh, and I was kind of inspired to to write about kind of the tie-in between what I work on childcare and climate change is, is mm-hmm. like, I live in uh, the San Francisco Bay area. And so it's, it's really been um, kind of impossible not to understand the impact that climate change has had um, on, you know, how I raise my kids versus how I was raised. Yeah. Um, and I think there's just so much as a parent that, you know, I really worry about not just like from a kind of existential, like, oh no, what will it be like for my kids in the future and their kids? But like actually day to day, um, the impact that 
our changing climate has on like how I can parent and the childcare I can receive. Um, it, it ends up being like this huge, uh, variable that I think is, is impacting a lot of families, um, especially in California, but now all across the United States. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just moved from the Bay Area. I was there for about five years. Um, we're in this we're in Seattle area now, but yes. absolutely saw the um, the effect of the wildfires just like on the quality of air. And, you know, basically you'd see it, it um, impacting anything from transportation to school closures to all of these things. And I love it that you bring things back to almost like a realistic day-to-day perspective, because I feel like one of the most common reasons when I ask people like why they got into, you know, environmental work or, um, you know, sustainability related work. And everybody's always like, oh, because I had a kid and I want to make sure the world's a better place for them. And that's great. But I don't think that we have to, you have to have a kid to care, first of all. <laughs> um, and I also that like by grounding ourselves in data in, in thinking about these like day-to-day disruptions, it's really like, realistic sort of like visceral experience, right? Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, my daughter's preschool released a policy around air quality. And when the air quality okay. uh, is, you know, at an unsafe level, they actually close the school for the day. Um, yeah. And so I don't have childcare that day. Um, so this isn't like a, you know, maybe one day the world will be uninhabitable. This is like, literally, I can't work when the air quality is bad. And the past couple of years, the air quality has been bad for a lot of days. And so uh, it's actually like another huge disruption on top of, you know, COVID and all of the current disruptions we have. Um, And, you know, as a person that's fairly, you know, I, I have enough money and enough privilege to be able to make this stuff work. um, It's, it's not totally ruining my life, but it is really pretty disruptive. Uh, You can only imagine like the impact this has on families that are just making ends meet. Um, And these like inequalities really get exacerbated uh, for their kids too. When you look at the kind of facilities and what they're able to do to kind of like work around the changing climate, um, it starts to be uh, really, you know, really poor conditions for certain families and certain schools um, when they can't adapt to climate change. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, childcare in and of itself is already so expensive and almost like unattainable for so many people in this country and really across the world. So yes, you feel like once you once you're able to have it then you're off there working and then you've got to come back and grab your kids if there's smoke in the air. I mean, it definitely is, like I said, a really visceral um, experience that a lot of people are going through right now. And so you wrote an article called Climate Change Won't Just Harm Our Kids in the Future. It's hurting them right now. You actually published that on Earth Day of this year. And so in the article, you actually mentioned how schools were forced to close a, as a result of extreme weather. So we're talking yeah. not just wildfires, right? Like storms, heat waves, et cetera. And this has impacted over a million students in California, Louisiana, Maryland, and more. So tell me a little bit more about like the school closure. Like we talked about daycare, but like how do school and school closures really impact education and childcare for students? And like, how, how is the climate change um, situation exacerbating what's going on? 
Yeah. I mean, these buildings are just not set up to deal with the new uh, the new climate um, yeah, and these extreme probably old, events. right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, most schools don't have air conditioning, for example, yeah. and it just becomes, you know, there's there's talk about like, should we have school year round in the United States? It's like it's not even a possible thing to talk about because yeah. these buildings are uninhabitable in the summer, and it's getting to be worse and worse. Those summer months are becoming way more of the year. Yes. Just had a heat wave on the East Coast. Um, so you can't actually hold school uh, under these conditions. Or if you do, you know, how can children actually concentrate and focus? And so this is not just, you know, daycare and preschool buildings, but it's, you know, elementary school buildings and middle school buildings and high school buildings. Um, it's becoming, you know, just the case that like most of these buildings are not equipped Um for the changing climate and it, it impacts, you know, lower income areas the most because they're the least able to respond, um, with upgrading their, their buildings or putting in air conditioning or having air filters for the bad air. It was actually something I, I looked at when choosing, um, both a preschool and an elementary school for my oldest was like, do they have air filtration systems? Um, wow. Because that now really matters. And like, if your child is spending most of their day in a building where they're breathing in bad air, I mean, that could actually harm them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, you mentioned um, in your article that, you know, the wildfire smoke and air pollution um, has been found to cause some developmental and reproductive harm. Like, tell tell me a little bit more about that report. I'm sure that was kind of shocking to you as you, you figure that out. I mean, maybe it was shocking in terms of the the implications. I think we probably all understood that, like, hey, breathing this in isn't the best thing ever, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is like something I kind of went a little bit deep into when we had these yeah. bad air days because I'm like sitting at home with my three kids locked inside a yes, fairly I small house. That. And I'm like, yeah. well, how bad is this really? Like, is yeah. it really that bad? Um, and yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not just, you know, that day it's hard to breathe, but it's, you know, a carcinogen. So yeah. you, you don't want a lot of exposure to it over time. And this is, you know, like other carcinogens, the more exposure, the more it builds up, the worse it is. So yeah, it, it actually is really bad. You don't want to get exposed to bad air because the uh, repercussions are not just like that day. It's a little harder to mm -hmm. breathe. It's, it's actually harming your body. Uh, and and children's bodies are more susceptible because they're still developing, their brains still developing, um, and obviously like pregnant women. Uh, so yeah. this stuff is is really not good. Um, and you know we we kind of feel this in a in in these areas where wildfires um, can happen all the time. Uh, we we feel this like really viscerally, and it's hard to ignore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on days when it was bad, your body, yeah, you would try and go outside and your body would literally be like, nope, like you would, you'd like try and breathe it in. And it's like, nope, go back inside, like yeah. get out of this. And so I, you know, just understanding that in addition to obviously the, the discomfort that you feel at the time, um, you know, there's also going to be some really, you know, negative downstream impacts from being exposed to that is, is awful. Another thing uh, we found, like, according to Harvard, uh, rising temperatures and decreased air quality actually affects kids by increasing asthma attacks and allergies. It can worsen pregnancy outcomes, like you just mentioned, 
it can, uh, you know, this, this environment can create food insecurity, increase mental health mm-hmm. problems. I mean, and they even said changes in their gem- genetic makeup. So they even went like that far, but I mean, this is not just like, oh, it's, you know, uncomfortable for me to breathe outside. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of parents kind of initially had that, uh, a lot of parents I talked to kind of initially had that philosophy, like, oh, it's okay. Like, it's just, can't hurt them. Yeah. It'll be a fine. It's like a few days and it's like, it's not, first of all, it's not a few days. This has been increasing in both frequency and duration. Um, but it also, you know, the, the damage can be lifelong. So you really don't want to, you know, you have to just be inside when this happens and you have to have air filters and this is really expensive for families. I mean, a lot of families don't have this choice to just keep their kids home because they have to go work, um, or they don't have access to high quality air filtration. Um, so it's just like, it's not even an option. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing too, is it's, it's not just, you know, being cooped up. It's, it's like, you then lose the ability to be at school. Now, granted, COVID has showed us all what happens when children um, are cooped up for too long and are not, you know, exposed to other kids in, in school like they normally be able to. But it definitely has an impact on, you know, mental health of children. I mean, I feel like in addition to just probably being frustrated about not being able to go to school like I normally would be able to or like go outside and play in nature, which can be, you know, obviously very fun and and amazing part of being a kid. um, There's also like a bit of anxiety that happens, I would think, around like, you know, like natural disasters. Like, I mean, I grew up in Tornado Alley. I'm from Texas originally. And like that used to give me crazy anxiety having to deal with tornadoes. So I can't imagine like being in an area as a child with, you know, these natural disasters going along around me and not be affected, right? Yeah. I mean, I think in the early days of COVID, um, we were kind of like, hey, you know, maybe online learning is fine. And, uh, you know, you can kind of, this is our solution to COVID. It's our solution to bad air. It's like they can just move online and not be disrupted. And, you know, what we learned is like, no, especially for our youngest learners, especially for, you know, early education, like daycare and preschool, but really, you know, lots of, lots of younger learners. Uh, elementary school is not really a, a exception to this. Like you, you need to learn to be around other children in a group environment. There's a lot of social emotional development that takes place that just can't be taught over a screen. And, you know, especially for our youngest learners, like there's no replacement for in-person childcare. Like you can't, you can't provide that, can't change a diaper over Zoom. <laughs> you yeah, can't exactly. feed it <laughs> over Zoom. So there's, it's like not even an option, but then even when you start to get older and you could kind of sit in front of a Zoom for the day, um, it's still not a replacement for the childcare aspects. And it's certainly not a replacement for all the social, emotional yes. development and learning that takes place in a group environment around other children. Absolutely. I mean, the socialization piece is huge. I mean, the other piece we we talked about a little bit earlier, which is just like the the ability to be outside as well, like to mm-hmm. be exposed to sunshine, which yes, like we need to make sure we're wearing our sunscreen yeah. and our and our protection, but we need exposure to the sun for vitamin D. We also need to get exercise. So yeah. we all know from the, you know, the COVID, the COVID-15 or whatever everybody was calling it, like, you know, when yep. you're when you're not active, you, you know, have your weight increase. The children are not um, immune to that. So there's, there's so many different, 
I don't know, so many different skills or, you know, benefits are are found when you're outside. Um, I And so just putting kids to say like, sorry, no, it's like literally unsafe for you to be outside right now. I think it's just such a, in addition to, you know, all of the other things that we've just talked about is just such a, such a, a sad and just not, not good thing for them. Right. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, so listeners, you may or may not know, I, I recently had my first child. She just turned seven months old. Her name's Brooksley. Um, and we, have, you know, a few different books around the house that are like, you know, uh, I'm now granted, they're, they're very much lost on her at being seven months old. But as she gets older, uh, they're called like uh, the kids book about climate change and things like that. But I, you know, Sarah, as a, as a mom of three and one that has, you know, really spent her her career um, recently thinking about childcare and, and, and child development, like, in your opinion, like, how do you think that parents and guardians should talk to their kids about climate change? Because I mean, it's a tough conversation to have with other adults, let alone kids who are still trying to learn and understand. You don't necessarily like want to scare them. So like, I'm curious to know, like, how do, how do you do it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely not the expert here and it's something I'm, I'm working sure. on. But one of the yeah. things I noticed is like the more that I can incorporate into just the day-to-day way we operate. I mean, I grew up kind of thinking that everything should be new. Like for a present, you get a new toy or a new outfit. Um, And I think that that is totally just impacted just the way I think about and the way I operate. I I always just opt to buy something new. It's, It's faster. A lot of times it's cheaper. It's like, yeah, I'll just get a new thing and I'll throw out the old one. Um, and I've really tried, especially with my kids, to walk that back. Um, yep. So we we try to be thoughtful about like every object we have. Um, and so if they're done with a toy, like is there someone who can use it? Even if it's really time consuming for me to do that, <laughs> to yep. like, put the toy Got up on the neighborhood swap <laughs> group, um, yeah. it. It, I know how worthwhile it is for my kids to see that and to see that like this is actually something that we need to find a home for at this point. And so we can't just bring a new thing into our home until we find someone to take our old things. And sometimes it's really hard. Like No one wants yes. your old toys. Um, and so that's a good lesson for my kids that like, well, we actually have too many toys. And even if you're not playing with these right now, like we can't take in new things until we find someone who will take these old things. Yeah. Um, and I think that has, it has helped. Like it's changed their expectation. They don't expect, you know, they don't, my younger kids don't get any new clothing. Like they have to yeah. shop from the older kids stuff or from other people's things. Um, or, you know, someone gives stuff to them as a gift, but I don't buy them new things. Um, and they, they just have come to, uh, I think th- their expectations are not that like the thing has to be new. It's just like new to them. Um, and so they, they have a different appreciation than I think I was brought up with that. Like they don't need it to, they don't need to be the first person that has ever used something for it to feel yeah. completely new, uh, and a present for them. Well, it's all about how you're raised, right? I mean, like I, I was absolutely raised the same way, like in a very like hyper, consumer focused culture, um, especially actually where even I grew up, um, was all about new, 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 um, whether it was what you were getting, whether it was like, 
seeing people's houses just getting renovated all the time. Like there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of like just of that going on constantly. So you're right. Like culturally, it was like not really cool to go thrifting or get things secondhand. Like that was just like not, not, not a thing. So I love that you're using the concept of waste and just, you know, general, you know, reduction of new things that we're putting into the environment to tie it back to climate change. So do you guys talk about that? Are you like, hey, this is why we do this? Or is it like a lifestyle thing where you're like, you know what, like, we haven't even gotten into that point. I'm just trying to get them um, comfortable with this sort of lifestyle. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've tried. I don't know how much they're, I think my oldest is and her school has actually been amazing. They they have like sustainability as part of their curriculum. And so they talk oh, about cool. it a lot at school. So I should give her more credit. She understands that stuff. My, my younger <laughs> two, they're four and two. So they, I don't, I never know how much they're quite absorbing. Um, but <laughs> <That's true. laughs> they, um, they know about bad air because it, it really impacts their day to day. Like for a while we were just, we'd have to check. Is it a bad air day? Is it a good air day? Can we go outside? Can we go inside? So a lot of what we do, we can tie back to that as like, you know, we need more good air days. (laughs) Like we have to do these things like recycling and reusing and composting. Um, We also like in our uh, town, they give us a really, really small garbage can um, okay. And yep. Like a big compost and a big recycling, and we—I mean, we have a family of five, and like one of our kids is still in diapers, and so it just is like there is so much garbage every yeah. week um, that we like we just can't get by unless we're seriously always thinking about how much garbage we're producing <laughs> and yeah. what can be composted instead and what can be recycled instead, and the kids can't mess it up either because we will literally not like be able to take out our trash. Like we will just have trash. <laughs> up. Um, and we had like, we've had weeks where we've had to like shop our garbage around to neighbors because like we can't fit it all in our trash can. We have to go door yeah. to door now. So they can take an extra garbage bag. So um, they are, that is also a thing. Like thank, thank you to our, our city or our County because like it has made it basically impossible to live without constantly talking about how much waste we're producing um, because like, we just can't fit it in our garbage can. And that's such a good learning exercise too. Like when your kids are older, they're absolutely going to remember that they're going to be like, wait, they're, <laughs> they're going to move into like, you know, a dorm and be like, wait, what? I can have unlimited trash. Is this a thing? Right. Their mind's going to be blown. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just having that as a part of, you know, just everyday life is an amazing learning opportunity. Granted, like even, you know, listeners, if your city's not doing this, which most aren't, um, Seattle does that. But I think you can opt for the slightly bigger can. I will say, though, I think we're on like a smaller can than certainly I grew up with. And it it definitely makes you think more. Um, So you can always request a smaller can. You can also pretend like there's all sorts of things that you could do, I think, to like make this a thing in your household. So I, I love that idea. I also think too, like, with kids, there's just so much stuff that comes with them. I was like sort of a minimalist, I could say, um, before I had a kiddo. And now it's like whether I feel like I need something or something. There's just so many gifts, so many things that go go along with having having kids. And so, you know, you've already shared the tip about trying to do secondhand and, and normalizing that in your family. But you know, some of the other things we're doing, listeners, and in my family, we actually are doing cloth diapers. Um, we we made the plunge and we, we've done it from day one and it's it has worked out for us, but it's, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, granted, we're using 
system from a company called Assembly, which does make it, I think, easier than like the old fashioned, like, uh, you know, uh, be afraid of poking yourself with a safety pin type type of situation. But um, it still requires a lot of work and it, it's not necessarily accessible. So, you know, I think in general, the more you can just think about, yeah, what's going into your trash can? What kind of, what amount of waste are we do? Like, are we um, contributing to? I'm, I'm curious to know too, Sarah, like, uh, do you guys compost? Like, do, do, are your kids involved in that? Like, is that kind of a fun activity or <laughs> how does that go? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, uh, we don't compost as much as we should, but we do yeah, same. We yeah. get a massive compost can and we fill it up. Um, and like finding things that can go in the compost, uh, like tissues, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the kids get really excited because we keep a okay. separate bag when they're sick, <laughs> which is yep. pretty much every week someone yep. is sick and they have lots of tissues. And we're like, we have to compost these because there's no way we could fill our trash can with all your dirty tissues. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we have like a lot of food that's spoiled, which is never good, but happens a, a bit too frequently in our house because of just the massive amount of people we're trying to feed uh, yeah. and they're changing tastes. Um, you know, we talk about like, it has to go in the compost. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the fact, like I never, I never even knew what compost was until I was an adult. So yes, yeah, um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, they are, they are learning a lot and it's also reinforced at their schools, which is really nice. Um, and they do the same thing at school. Um, so I think, you know, it's been, they've been teaching me as much as I've been teaching them because they'll call me out if I like put something in the wrong can. <laughs> I love it. And I think it's really cool that your, um, your kids' schools are like incorporating sustainability. Have, have they done anything else that you found to be cool? So we talked about composting. Um, what else? I can't remember what else we were talking about that, that they put as part of their curriculum. I'm curious to know, have they, have your kids ever come like a interesting sustainability insight from school. So my um, oldest school, they do like they have uh, certain gym clothes that you have to wear on certain days, and they'll do swaps. So like, okay, you, you can get those clothes always from the older kids who have outgrown their clothes, um, and they'll do that also with like Halloween costumes and other certain clothing throughout the year. Um, yeah. that we'll wear for certain like spirit days or things like that. And I think that's just a really nice, it's just been nice because it, it sets the expectation that like, it's okay to wear used clothing from other yeah. people that they once yeah. wore. Like, that's not a bad thing. That's actually what we do here. Um, and it's a good thing. Um, and then, you know, the preschool will sometimes ask like parents to bring in certain like discarded items that they'll mm. use for art projects or different yeah things they're doing. And I think taking that as an opportunity to like talk to my daughter and, uh, you know, look for those items and then bring them in and know that like they're, we're getting a new use out of them. Um, I I always appreciate when the schools do stuff like that, uh, because it just sets, sets the tone with my kids and they, they now will do that too. Like if I use a paper towel roll, they'll be like, okay, and now I have it for my art project. Yeah, great. (laughs) We're doing something (laughs) with it. Um, and I, I like that, you know, we're at least thinking about how we reuse things before we just throw them away. Absolutely. And I love the, um, the, the school clothing, like the custom clothing swap. That's such a good idea. Like think about all the, like, customized swag we had growing up for like schools like 
colleges. Actually, I remember I, I was in a sorority and they actually did take shirts back because they didn't want like random people to wear shirts that were <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's that's on another level. But I guess it's <laughs> similar thought where like, you know, these types of customized piece of clothing are really gonna only mean something to one group of people, right? Yeah. Like if you're an alumni or something like that. So if you donate it to Goodwill, it's going to have much less quote unquote perceived value to somebody. Right. So I like that they kind of like keep it in the ecosystem. That's such a good idea. I haven't heard of that. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so this has been amazing, Sarah. We typically like to end the podcast on, you know, a positive note. We, we ask our, um, we ask our guests the same question, which is, from your viewpoint as either a founder, a mother, or both, um, you know, what is exciting you the most about the sort of ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement going on right now that you see? Yeah, I mean, one that we already touched on, like, it's exciting to me that a lot of times my kids know more than me, and they'll bring this stuff yes. up proactively. Um, I think that is just a huge step forward from how I was raised or even just, you know, kids not so long ago. And I think it's, it's come out of necessity, but uh, it's a good thing that our kids are, you know, taking the lead on this. Um, the other thing I think is exciting to me is like a lot of times the thing that's most sustainable and ethical is also the thing that's the cheapest and best yes. for families. Um, so if you look at, you know, childcare, for example, um, you know, group childcare, which is what we focus on at Winnie. So daycare, preschool, where children learn in a group environment, like it is the most, uh, affordable form of care, um, for families. Like it's so much more affordable than having yeah. a one-on-one -on -one provider. Um, and it's also, you know, really the most sustainable thing. If you can get these sort of efficiencies of scale, um, of multiple kids in one environment, you know, they share all the, all the toys and you have one playground equipment. Like the thing that is most sustainable is also kind of best. It's the cheapest. It's how kids learn in a group environment, um, with other children. Uh, so I, I think it, it's not necessarily even a trade-off we have to make. It's just sometimes a mindset shift and, and it might be slightly more inconvenient, um, but if we can make these things work that are both like sustainable, cheaper, um, better, yeah. like it, it actually could be a win all around. We just have to be creative and, and have a willingness to kind of change our ways, um, maybe incur a little bit of inconvenience, but do the thing that's going to be better for society and the planet in the long run. Yeah. I mean, it's a total mindset shift. I think you're right. Sometimes it's maybe a little bit less convenient, but it's also kind of like, well, why are we defining convenience like that anyway, too? Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like it's, it's just something we become really accustomed to. And, you know, as we start to see, you know, prices rise for, for things, including single use disposable items, um, yeah. you know, unfortunately that's the, the situation we're in right now. I also am hopeful that the sustainable alternative, while it might be a little bit more of an investment up front, I hope people are going to start to see like, you know, cost per use and and, and things of that um, nature as budgetary, you know, yeah. friends to their budget um, it, instead of saying, oh, well, why would I purchase, you know, something a little bit more expensive? Well, it's going to last you a lot longer. So it, you're probably actually better off. So, you know, even in a, in a shifting market, such as what's happening right now, I'm pretty hopeful for that as well. 
Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Uh, we have so many new moms and, and parents as part of our ecosystem. I know they're going to get a ton out of this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.